Well, welcome back, everyone. This is Morgan Harper, VP of Knowledge Management and Strategy at Lisk, and this is our monthly podcast. Maurice Jones, CEO of Lisk, is here as well. Hi, Maurice. Nice to be with you again. Nice to see you. So last time we talked a little bit with one of our executive directors, Ricardo Flores, about the importance of local policy. Um, today, we also wanted to acknowledge federal policy, which, as most community development practitioners know, plays a plays a big role in how we get the work done. And I think everybody can agree there's been no hotter topic in the federal policy realm this year than Opportunity Zone. So we have Lisa Hall, Senior Fellow from the Beck Center at Georgetown University, joining us today. Hi, Lisa. Good, good morning. It's uh, great to be with you today. Yeah, thanks so much for joining. We wanted to have Lisa to get a, you know, another perspective. She's been very involved in Opportunity Zones and leading a lot of these conversations across the country. So, Lisa, actually, if we could start with you and just talk a little bit about how the Beck Center came to focus on this and, and your work so far. Great. I uh, am very excited to talk about the work of the Beck Center, where we are trying to mobilize uh, the next generation of leaders for impact. And as we talk about opportunity zones today, I think it is such a great example of approaching investment with impact, where you can really make a difference. And where if you're not intentional, um, you can have a lot of unintended consequences. And because Opportunity Zones were established with very few guardrails in the legislation, it really is up to motivated impact investors uh, to shape this market in a way that the tax incentive benefits people who live in these communities um, and is not only used for financial gain. So let's talk a little bit about that. And I, I want to hear from Maurice and Lisa on this, but because, you know, as you all have both heard, there's a lot of uh, trepidation about this incentive. Is this just going to be a huge flow of capital, more gentrification in areas that can't really manage it by people who don't really care about that impact that you're talking about, Lisa? So um, what's what's your response to that? What are What are people saying there? I think there are a lot of very good actors and mission-aligned, impact-motivated investors who, frankly, want to invest in these communities in ways that will benefit people who live there. And these investors understand that there's a business imperative um, as well as being motivated to do the right thing, that, frankly, by establishing impact objectives and thinking about how investments can benefit communities, it helps to improve financial performance over the long run. It is a very smart strategy uh, to look at how you can benefit the community and at the same time earn a strong financial return. Yeah, I would uh, second that emotion, as the song says. And, you know, I think if you look at our work already, 40 years, uh, we have, with partners, already invested in Opportunity Zones $2.3 billion. So Mm -hmm. we know that, one, there are investable projects in Opportunity Zones. Two, there are um, mission-aligned investors who are interested. Um, What this gives us in the form of this uh, new tool is 
a chance to talk to many more, particularly high net worth individuals, about the both financial and community benefits available with investing in these uh, in these places, and also to show them that we know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my view uh, is it's sort of like free speech. The antidote to undesirable speech is more good speech, if you will, <laughs> as as they teach you in law school, not suppressing speech, right? Here, the only way that we're going to ensure that as much um, in the way of transactions benefiting uh, both uh, investors and the community exist as those are just benefit investors is that those of us who want that mission mm-hmm. go at it with gusto and do everything we can to build partnerships and coalitions to work in these communities across the board in every sector to uh, to make sure that we're benefiting both investors and um, and the community. And that can be done. We have seen that that has already been underway, and this gives us an additional tool to put into the toolbox with which to do that. And, and where are we seeing that? Where are, for both of you, best practices emerging that are including communities in the process of thinking about how to take advantage of the Opportunity Zone incentive? So I'm particularly keen on what I see happening in a place like Indianapolis where you've got a cross-sector of folks coming together to put together a consortium that is about um, highlighting what projects are already underway that are benefiting folks in Opportunity Zones and are trying to actually uh, be transparent for both the benefit, the beneficiaries and the investors regarding what can happen in these places. Mm-hmm. This is a uh, – and, and LISC is at the heart of this, this collaborative that's going on in Indy. And I also see, as I'm traveling around the country, um, folks who are attempting from mayor's offices to the philanthropic community to nonprofits like ours to groups like uh, Lisa's uh, Center there at Georgetown – there are a number of groups who are making sure that people remember that this is a twofold uh, opportunity, one for investors and one for um, the benefit of the community. And we got to bring all these folks around the table to make this work in the way that, uh, that the legislation, frankly, intends for it to work. Mm-hmm. And that's what... And I- I completely agree, Maurice. There are all these great examples of local efforts. And one of the things about the legislation, it really has empowered states and cities to dive feet first into economic development in a way that partners with private investors. And so other examples out there include Opportunity Alabama, where they've brought together community stakeholders to really focus on how can they market and highlight the strengths of their communities in Birmingham and in Montgomery to market to private investors who in the past maybe didn't have as great an interest in investing in underserved communities, but now with the tax incentive, they're really highly motivated to take a first look and a second look at places they might have passed over or, as folks like to say, flown over um, in the past. I I think, you know, there are also examples of uh, local municipalities dedicating uh, 
resources and people to focus on opportunity zones. In Baltimore, for example, the Baltimore Development Corporation just hired Ben Siegel to be a dedicated resource for the work around opportunity zones. That's going to be his full-time activity um, in looking at and thinking about where economic development um, can be supported by not just private investors, but also by the local and state uh, entities in the Maryland region. But without the guardrails and the impact requirements being built into the legislation or the regulation, how will that track? So one, how will the definition of impact be consistent across the country? And how will that actually be tracked effectively? Yeah, I don't know that the definition needs to be consistent across the country. Mm-hmm. I think that the local, the, the big opportunity is, as Lisa is suggesting, for local leaders to step up to take control of what happens with respect to Opportunity Zone investments in their area or in their region. And there is where the imposition of metrics uh, and where the intentional development of projects. The thing about Opportunity Zones is um, they cannot flourish on their own, right? Opportunity Zones, in order to really work and work well, need to be integrated in an already hopefully developed and uh, and a, a strategy that's already underway, and they become a part of it. Uh, and frankly, the local leaders, philanthropic community, um, political community, corporate community, et cetera, are actually the folks best placed to execute that kind of leadership and to, uh, and to lead on this stuff. So I think they have the best chances more of a chance than the federal government, frankly, in this case, of ensuring that there's transparency, ensuring that there are um, metrics that we can um, uh, monitor and uh, that we'll use as a guide for benefiting the community, et cetera, and ensuring that projects um, get developed or become prepared or get project ready, I should say, for investors to actually uh, invest in in their areas. These are all opportunities for local leadership in a way that um, is unprecedented, I think, in terms of what the potential investment uh, amount can be here. And Lisa, are you seeing... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Morgan, I think you raise a, a, a good question, though, about what are the principles around, you know, shared impact frameworks and impact measurement. Uh, that we have been promoting and that we want to encourage others to promote. And they start with transparency. You know, one of the challenges that many of us have had with the legislation is that it allows the opportunity funds to Mm self-certify in a way in which they can operate in these communities without disclosure. And we think it's important for investors to be transparent and for investors to be transparent about the impact that they're having in these communities. And at that center, we've been working together with the U.S. Impact Investing Alliance and the Federal Reserve Bank of New York to really think about what are some of the metrics that you could be using across opportunity funds, across opportunity zones to measure the progress you're having in meeting impact objectives. So we think this transparency point is a critical one um, and that it will require some 
self-regulation, some voluntary measures, and frankly, peer pressure among the investors that are socially motivated mm-hmm. to say our funds are approaching this investment and this work in a way that is transparent, and therefore we can drive more capital to the funds that are investing responsibly. Yeah, I want to pick up on that last point because I think that's the biggest opportunity, right? And that's the reason why um, folks who are concerned about the double bottom line here need to aggressively get involved Mm -hmm. because I think we do have the chance uh, to um, be the model for how these things should work and also, frankly, be the conscience for how these things uh, should work or, to Lisa's point, um, uh, exert peer pressure on those who are not so concerned about transparency or benefiting the community, et cetera. The bottom line is we have to be playing as aggressively as they in order to have any leverage in getting to the points that you all are making. And I think that's the big opportunity here. Mm-hmm. And, and do you think those impact metrics, I know it's still fairly early on, but the, from what you're seeing, those uh, that are emerging, are those going to be new metrics or consistent with other ways we've measured community development work in the past? I think there's plenty to build off of with respect to uh, initiatives like new markets, tax credits, low-income housing tax credits, et cetera. But, look, I think a huge metric here has to be, are we bringing new investors to this game, right? That's the whole point behind this uh, is that— Socially motivated investors. Uh, if they—yes, hopefully investors. So in my mind, if we're bringing high net worth individuals to this space who are motivated by both— a investment return and benefiting the community, it is a huge um, step forward for the field that we're working in where high net worth individuals are not playing in any substantial way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one additional metric that we are not using right now that we need to be using. Uh, but there are other metrics as well, and many of them we are attempting to use with respect to other uh, incentives, but I'm sure there will be uh, new ones developed too. But I, I think to Lisa's point, the, given that there are very few guardrails, the transparency, there are values uh, such as transparency in this one that those of us who believe that that's important, have to be aggressive about uh, demonstrating and showing and and exerting leverage to try to get that as the way this is practiced. Mm -hmm. And I agree with Maurice that there are great existing models out there uh, that we should look to as we develop metrics and uh, impact management frameworks for opportunity zones. You know, there are existing rating systems in place for social businesses like uh, B Analytics and uh, the B Core, B Lab metrics. Uh, there are rating systems in place for community development financial institutions uh, like ARIS ratings. And, and there has been a lot of great work done around thinking about impact management um, and how to set objectives and create metrics that match those objectives and then monitor uh, the performance against those objectives over time. 
I, you know, I think one of the pieces of this where I, where we have a chance to do it better than what's been done in the past is to really think about outcomes. And here at the Beck Center, we spend a lot of time thinking about and focused on, you know, evidence-based investing, mm-hmm. outcome-based investing, where you are not just looking at outputs, so not just looking at number of jobs created, but looking at what's the quality of that job? Is it a job that is permanent over time, or is it a short-term temporary job? Is it a job that came with benefits? Is it a job where there's skill development so that if that job ends, there's the ability to transfer those skills to a new job? So really Hmm. peeling back the onion to look beyond what is that one output you're creating and Mm -hmm. thinking through what are the outcomes for the people who live in the communities. Um, That to us is very important as we build metrics and we think about impact management frameworks. Yeah, I agree with that. And and again, the field is already moving in that direction, Mm -hmm. um, and we need to continue it, and I hope this gives us a chance to... Uh, frankly, accelerate it. Well, to wrap up and um, hear from both of you to end, first, what are you most optimistic about Opportunity Zones and any lingering concerns or things you're hoping to get more clarification on or guide the field as this as this continues to evolve? Want to start with you, Maurice? I'll go with Lisa first. We oh. always go with the youngest yeah. first. <laughs> no comment. Of course. I have no comment. Um, <laughs> so what I'm excited about are the conversations that are taking place in a way that, you know, after 25-plus years in this business of community development finance and impact investing, I have never seen the diversity of stakeholders coming together to discuss the issues, to talk about investing in underserved places, and to think about how they can collaborate. And that's what's exciting to me. I actually think the enthusiasm that we're seeing from private investors, local and state governments, community development organizations, and nonprofits, that enthusiasm can translate beyond opportunity zones. And so I get most excited about the conversations that are now taking place, not in silos anymore, but in a collaborative approach. Um, What I worry about um, is that in the rush to invest and the urgency um, around investing because of how the incentive is structured, where returns diminish the longer that you wait to invest Mm -hmm. because it's not a permanent program, um, I I worry that in that rush, uh, there will be some unintended consequences. and that the, the first movers will make some mistakes um, that, that can't be corrected quickly or easily in the long run. Hmm. Um, so I, I do have concerns about that, but it's why our work at the Beck Center is so critical in working with other community <coughs> practitioners, working with private investors to think up front about what the impact objectives are going to be as you create funds and you begin to invest in opportunity zones. Yeah, I, I would um, <clears throat> uh, echo uh, some of what Lisa just said. I, For me, the most exciting piece is uh, 
the chance that this incentive gives those of us who are in this business of attempting to help communities transform themselves, the chance that this gives us to talk to a um, investor class, if you will, that heretofore has been at best underrepresented in this space. Um, honestly, it doesn't really matter to me whether they invest in these communities via opportunity zones or something else. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is we now have an audience with investors representing $6 trillion or whatever the number is in a way that we've not had in the 40 years that, that, uh, that we've been doing this work. And this is our chance to market these communities to these investors. Uh, this could be potentially the biggest economic development incentive for underinvested communities in the country by far. If you think about uh, the fact that right now the low-income housing tax credit is the largest incentive for uh, affordable housing in the country, it's a 9 to $12 billion industry. Mm-hmm. We're talking about $6 trillion right here that are potentially uh, in play. This is huge. And so our chance now to use this incentive to better educate and to better market to folks places that are underinvested that we know have potential is 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 uh is unprecedented. And so that's what excites me the most, whether it's an investment via opportunity zones or something else. Um the risk uh that for me stand out most prominently is how we ensure that our rural areas, that our Native American lands, that our lower, relatively speaking, capacity metropolitan areas can play and play big in this as well. Mm -hmm. And that's going to take even more work uh, and even more attention and even more care and even better uh, high-functioning teams to ensure that this is not an incentive that basically is, if you will, uh, creaming, um, as, as the terminology goes, um, and that we've got folks around the country who can benefit from it. That's the risk I worry about the most is that this actually um, is not an incentive that we can figure out how to ensure a, a broad ownership and a broad benefit from it in the places that we keep in mind, right? We only chose 10% of the eligible um, census tracts mm-hmm. that uh, that are eligible for this uh, incentive. We got to make sure that they all can play. Well, thank That's you so much to you both. Uh, very interesting insights about this incentive, and look forward to hearing more about how we can ensure that community benefit. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Maurice. Thank right. you, Morgan. Stay well. Bye. It's a pleasure being here with you. Stay well. You too. Take care. <laughs> 